who fears to speak of East are weak, that weak of famed renown. When the boys in green they went out to fight the forces of the crown. On Easter Monday 1916, we set out to challenge the then mighty British Empire, to ensure that the children of the nation would be born in freedom, that they would never know the humiliation and shame of living under alien rule, or endure the truculence of a foreign soldiery. came ten thousand khaki coats, our rebel boys to kill. Before they reached O'Connell Street, a fight they got our fill. My brother Sean and I went to confession on Easter Saturday night and sallied forth on Easter Monday, saying goodbye to my mother and four sisters. six long days we held them off, at odds of ten to one, and through our lines they could not... I got enough to say that I was to report that, you know, the corner of Blessington Street that runs if you were going down towards the Black Church. Anglo-Saxons make great contributions to culture, don't they? They shot our leaders in a jail without a trial, they say. They murdered women and children who in their cellars lay. They dug the grave with gun and spade to hide them from our view. Because they could neither kill nor catch the rebels so bold and true. The rebels so bold and true. The rebels so bold and true. We will love old Ireland and shall while life remain. And we will say God speed the day the rebels will rise again. The Irish slaves and English names may try you to deceive. Remember those who died for you, and likewise James Connolly's grave. On the Thursday before Easter week, I was ordered to be at Burke's public house in James Street on Easter Saturday. And when I got there, Liam Cosgrave said to me, you're to begin handing out iron rations for 48 hours. There's a big parade to take place on Easter Sunday morning. And I can tell you, without any further explanation, we knew exactly what this parade was. And we were quiet. Tell <laughs> <laughs> He handed out the supplies and then he told us to leave and go to confession. We went to Aaron Key Church.
Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's six weeks since my last confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's three weeks since my last confession. That Sunday night, all the local volunteers attended a Kaylee at the Cleaver Hall in Denor Avenue. And during the dance, a volunteer handed a note to Tom McCarty, company officer of my battalion. While McCarty didn't tell us what was in the note, a rumour went round that a mobilisation had been ordered for the following morning. Well, the Kaylee continued on, and we just kept dancing. Ten forward. Eleven forward. That's it. Last forward. At 9.30am on Easter morning, we met up to parade. We must have been about 40 or 50 strong. Two back in the centre line. swiftly moving off. Three companies marching up the canal to Rialto. When we got to the Rialto Bridge, the small wicket gate and the main gates were open and we were ordered to lock and barricade both gates. That small wicker gate. The creak of that gate. Now we were supposed to trench behind the gate and put loopholes in to cover the South Circular Road, but no one thought of a pick and shovels. So securing the gate was nearly impossible. We did what we could. Then we were ordered instead to take over a corrugated hut which was lined with light sheeting. And from the windows we had a clear view of the South Circular Road. Let down the tops of the windows, placed mattresses against them. We used small tables as a platform to stand on in order to get a clear view of the distance over the wall onto the South Circular Road. The hut windows also covered the back entrance, and then we just waited. Just as we were listening to the Angelus bell ringing out, we heard the first shot, and it was like the sound of a shotgun going off in the distance. You know, pop. Over the walls climbed a man in volunteer uniform. We were in the act of loading our rifles when someone shouted, Not to fire! Not to fire! That he was one of our own. He was volunteer J.J. Burke. He got into the hut through a back entrance and took up a position in the room on my right. Shortly after, we went into action as British troops appeared and started to come over the wall at the South Circular Road. 
firing then became general and there was bullets everywhere. Firing, firing, and being fired at. It's terrible. There were bullet holes everywhere. And soon the place was in bits. We now knew that the hut wasn't safe. There was no real protection against the bullets. They were coming out every direction going right through the walls and right through the partition. We were quickly cut off and surrounded by British troops. We tried to get out. We were cut, cut off and surrounded by British couldn't. troops. We couldn't. We just couldn't. John fell right through the side of his face. I remember that the, I, I just I can never forget the snatched prayer on his lips. Lord Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and Mercy. And he was gone. Just then a British soldier came to the window and both of them fired. One at the other. One shot first, then the other shot. Corrigan was wounded on the forehead and his face was was it was filled with broken glass and the soldier was also wounded so badly. But the machine gun started up again and it really looked as though we were done for. So badly. Holy Mary. Bullets everywhere. It was just a hopeless position because... And the troops kept firing through the hut. They just kept firing through the hut. And then a British officer called upon our captain, Captain Irvine. Surrender, or they'd blow the hut up. Surrender, blow it to bits, or else. So he said, lads, it's all up. And we laid down our arms and proceeded in single file to the end door and heard the shouting. They just kept shouting. We marched out into the open and were at once surrounded by a ring of fixed bayonets. One soldier who searched me found rosary beads in my pocket. He put my rosary beads back into my pocket and he says to me, you'll need them later. Shame on you, disgrace, 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 shame on you, disgrace
Then we were marched up the South Circular Road under heavy escort. And I tried to help Corrigan because he was in awful pain. As we were going along, the crowd gathered and followed us up the road. Really rowdy. And then suddenly a woman rushed up with an uplifted jug and hit one of us. May God forgive you or something, she shouted at us. And I don't know, but the officer just knocked her back into the mob. Shoot them! Shoot them! Shoot them! Shoot them. Shoot them. That's what I remember people shouting. Shoot them! Give them a hiding! That's what I remember people just booing and shouting and roaring at us. Give them a hiding! Soldiers were calm and locked us into the cells. Really nervous. The soldiers on guard, though they were calm, were British soldiers. Let me in there. I'll give you a hiding. Then in the guard room we were lined up in front of two officers who questioned us as to how many more men were with us and how many had escaped and our names and our addresses. All this stuff was taken. <laughs> After all this we were put into another large cell which was attached to the guard room and in the darkness we tried to have a talk, we tried to surmise what would be the next move of the British. Hideous. <laughs> Political prisoners? Nah. Prisoners of war? Nah. Prisoners of war. Prisoners of war. So what does that mean? Huh? Prisoners of war, what does that mean? Prisoners of war, what does that mean? They can't, they can't. They can't, they can't. exhausted. We'd been in top gear from nine o'clock that morning and it was now after midnight so we just really just quickly fell asleep. Wake up Paddy. Wake up Paddy. Wake up Paddy. Wake up, Paddy. Wake, wake up, Paddy. Wake up. Wakey, wakey, Paddy. Wakey, wakey, Paddy. But the British wakey, soldiers wakey, had other Paddy. ideas, because every hour or so they would flash their torches in on us and let out a shout. Wake up, Paddy. 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 
Wake up, Paddy. Wakey, wakey, Paddy. Wake up, Paddy. Get up, Paddy. Paddy, get up. Paddy. And that went on all night. Wake up, Paddy. morning finally came we took stock of one another. We were really filthy from lying on the dirty floor. And then there was Corrigan's face. Oh my god. The soldier who had fired a shot which wounded him was so near that the bullet had burned the wound as it passed through. And as a result the wound didn't bleed, but the black powder burning scab all around him was really frightening. most about that morning, that next morning, was the tea. The tea. We hadn't had anything to eat or drink since the previous morning. And this tea must have been the best tea we ever tasted. Burke and myself were brought out into the guardroom to wash out the floor. 
In the centre of the floor was an open box of hand grenades, and they told us to lift them over into the corner. Do, 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 do. When you're done there, mate, do us a favour and lift them over there. What's the Damn, uh, Just lift them know, over there, something. out the way, sir. Something about them, something about the, the attitude, the tone. No, we said, we refused to move them. No, we refused to go near the box. Then the soldiers started shouting at us. Move it or else. Move the fucking box. Move the fucking box. No, says we again. No, says we again and again. It was all getting very tense. When an officer came into the room and looked at Burke, who pointed to the box on the floor. The officer told the guards to put us back into our cells. It was a narrow escape, believe me. If we'd lifted up that box, we would have been shot there and then, and the soldiers would have said we were trying to escape. The day was darkening in more ways than one. At the back of the guardhouse, the soldiers mocked us. Paddy. Got a few more of your lads today, Paddy, as he ran off. Running for the mammies. You know, you lot are keeping us busy. We're digging so busy. in a nice big trench. Must be 20 feet deep and as wide. You know what? Oh, just as wide. That's where you're going, Paddy. You and the line. There taunting behind me, a great cloud of smoke rose up over the city, and it looked as if the whole of Dublin was being consumed by fire. The glow in the sky was just frightening. It burned down and billowed on all day Friday, a great pall of smoke hanging over the city. And that night some of the soldiers on guard kept mocking us and taunting us again. Got a few more of your lads today, Paddy. As they run off, running for their mammies, they were. Did you know you lot are keeping us busy? We're digging a nice big trench, maybe 20 feet deep. Just as wide. That's where you're going, Paddy. Just you and the line. But whatever they said, we could still hear the sound of guns. And no other prisoners had been brought in. So we didn't believe them. We couldn't believe them. This was Dublin. Dublin, the capital. And what about the rest of the country? What was happening in Cork, or Tipperary, or the rest of Southern Ireland? We hardly slept at all that night. I can still see the glare of fire, 
bright in the sky, a big blaze in the city of Dublin, and the world on fire. seen something different. And fear was sweeping through us. And then they put us into the cells on the ground floor. That six or eight of us were bundled into each cell. And there was one prisoner in ours who'd been really badly beaten up earlier in the evening. Found that out later. Anyway, his face was all cut, all bleeding. And he looked wretched. Dried blood, you know, dirty clothes, dried blood on the clothes. He said his name was Ash. Soon it was pitch dark in the cells, and right through the prison we could hear the banging of doors. And we could hear the shouting and screaming of prisoners. They'd been beaten up in their cells. The British were on the
we then heard them outside the cells in our passage and the one next to ours. And we could hear the shouts and the groans when suddenly our door was opened and in rushed two soldiers demanding to know what we were shouting about. What are you shouting about? What are you shouting about? What are you fucking shouting, shouting about, about, eh? about, eh? Yeah? You got you something to shout about? Fear was descending upon us, and some of the lads were starting to break. At around eight or nine o'clock in the morning, we heard movements out in the passage, and the cell doors being opened and then locked again. Opened and then locked again. Forever opened and forever locked again. took me out of the cell and I was marched up to a desk with two British officers and three or four policemen, I can't remember. Nine. I was asked my name and occupation and... Occupation. Basically told them I was a plasterer by trade. Plasterer. A lively story. It says here, here, that you are well known to the police. You're no plasterer. And I suppose you have no idea who is in command of the South Dublin Union, right? Nothing to say. I have a signed statement here. Here that says just that. Gerald Doyle. Rebel. Traitor. Scum. I asked to see this statement, but one of the police hit me on the side of the head and knocked me against the side of the table. And then I was just taken back to the cell. Everyone was silent. Everyone was worried. Rumours abounding. Court martials, assassinations, a big trench, lime, firing squads. Just then, P.H. Pierce came out of the building and faced us on the green. And all at once, the prisoners sprang to their feet and stood to attention. And he just smiled across at us. He saluted and he marched off under an escort of... British officers. I can still see the picture of him as he marched away in his great green overcoat, his, his hat. He was so positive, so strong. I can tell you, it gave us great courage. It was great solace to everyone. We knew we could face our trials in turn. Then we were rounded up and they put us back into the same cell. 
Darkness fell. We heard soldiers outside the door, mumbling. They opened the door and flashed the light on our faces and then called out the name. Tom Clark! Clark! Tom Clark! Tom Clark! Come on! Come on! We got to our feet and Tom shook hands with us in turn. I, being next to the door, was the last to shake hands with him and then they took him away. And then we were really quiet. Everyone just listening out. Not that you could hear anything. Not that you could really tell. Just listening out. Trying to say a rosary for him. Dawn crept up and we heard rifle fire and then silence. Rifle fire and then silence. Silence. Three volleys. Three deaths. Some of the lads tried to recite the rosary again. Oh God, it was a black morning. We were just waiting. We were just waiting to be shot. Waiting to be murdered. Some of the lads were trying to determine who was next and when and who and where. But we just kept on waiting. We were just waiting. Waiting to be shot and waiting to be murdered. I remember one of them going over to a window where they were talking near a door and making them go and stand in the centre of the room telling them that the doors, lads, the walls, lads, the windows, lads, this place has ears. Then they came again. It was my turn. I was marched down the hall and handed over to two military police. There were three British officers in front of me and I was placed in a chair. The president of the court then read out a charge to me. 
you, Gerald Doyle, did to wit, take part in a rebellion against the lawful authority of His Majesty King George V, resulting in great loss of life to his loyal subjects. He asked me if I understood the nature of the charge and I replied, I do. They produced a witness, a witness. One of the officers who told them I had been arrested in full volunteer uniform, but that I must have changed since my arrest. I was a traitor to the king and I should be shot. And I should be shot. Have you, Doyle, any questions to put to the witness against you? I said I have. And then asked this witness if he was sure that I was in full volunteer uniform when arrested. And he replied that I was. I then asked him if he thought it possible that I could have a change of clothes smuggled into the barracks and the uniform taken out and I under close guard and observation from the time of our surrender, day and night. He replied that he could not answer that and I just stared at him. At this point, the captain who was sitting at the small table rose to his feet and addressed the president, stating he'd be allowed to conduct my defence. I sensed the trap, and I decided to turn down the offer, so I replied, stating that while I wished to thank the captain, I would conduct my own defence. Thank you, captain. Well, the captain looked insulted. Him insulted. He said that he couldn't understand my mind, that I mustn't realise the seriousness of my position. I was silent. I just bit my lip. But Ash's eyes and Corrigan's face and Tom Clark's strong hand in mine all flashed before me. Thank you. Thank you, Captain. At ease. President of the court proceedings then closed the proceedings closed. and said that I'd be notified Doyle, of the decision. You will be in notified due of the decision of the court in due course. Take him away. I was marched out, and all I could hear in my ears was in due course. To his loyal subjects. 
Lost up to his destroy gas subjects. Doyle, you will be up to his loyal subjects. There were smaller cells now down this long corridor, left, right, and then all down just one side. And I saw Corrigan on my left, and Burke was on my right, and I went to the new cell on my own. The key turned in the door. I was totally exhausted and just fell on the ground. In the first hours in my cell, I just lay there on the floor and began to review in my mind the events of the past weeks and all that had happened. A rush of memories just flashed, flashed at me, flashed through me. They reared up again and they trampled over me. I was totally overwhelmed. <laughs> Running for the moment. What <coughs> is gonna happen? I don't know where. They can't. Yeah, where? No. Just wait. Tom Clark. Tom Clark. We dig in a nice big trench wide. That's where you're going, Paddy. You and the line. As they ran off. Oh, got a few more of your lads today, Paddy. As they ran off. I don't know if I was feverish, but things were just. I don't know. I don't know. Mind was ablaze. The yard where the executions were carried out was directly beneath my cell window. I just felt like I was hovering. I felt like I was hovering over my own Golgotha. I was sick at heart, and I prayed that when my time came, I also would meet death with the same courage as those who had already gone before me. Chris, then a cell door opened and closed again. That's all I could hear. And that's all I could think about. And I couldn't do anything else except hear the cell door being opened and the cell door being closed again. Opened and closed again. Opened and closed again.
had to get up. I had to get off the floor. I was going mad. I pressed my ear against the wall and I could hear the sound of voices there, faintly. But what were they saying? The cells were now dark. What the hell was going on? Then I heard the sound of someone moving outside my cell. Who was it? Had they come for me? Is this it? Christ, how long have they been standing there just silent? Oh, come on then! The next morning came and went and the day just dragged along. Now and again you'd hear a tap on the wall or you'd tap the wall with your heel. You know, to let your comrade on either side know that you were still there. Here I am. Are you there? Here I am. Are you there? Are you there? got dark I sat on the floor and nodded off to sleep but then I was suddenly woken up by the sound of marching feet rattling keys and the opening and shutting of doors I stared at my cell door it was pitch black but I could see a little pinhole of light in the centre of the peephole through which the warden would peer into the cells of the prisoners at intervals day and night Mr All-Seeing Eye by standing on my toes, I could just get my eye to the hole and see the stairs leading down to the main hall. I was sure there were two soldiers with fixed bayonets standing at ease on the landing. I can't tell you how long I stood there, straining, trying to see, trying to see more, trying to know, trying to get taller, anything, trying to know something. I kicked the wall of Corrigan's cell and it was answered, so I knew he was still there. Then I tried the wall on the other side. And it too was answered by Burke. Then I heard the sound of a number of people moving outside on the landing and going to the peephole. I noticed that the two soldiers had moved to one side. But why? Why? Try to pray for the lads under my breath. Please, not again. Not again. Please, 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 not again. Fire! <gasps> I heard the first crashing sound of the volleys echo through the prison.
then I heard the march of the soldiers. They were coming up the stairs. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. They were coming to my side of the landing, but they passed by the door of my cell. Some three or four, no, maybe three cells down from me. I heard the sound of keys and after that a cell door being opened. I could hardly breathe. I counted one, two, three doors being opened. And next I heard the keys in Burke's cell and the door opened. And I could hear them marching into his cell. And then nothing. And then something. A kind of murmuring. I was waiting again for the march. I was waiting for the volleys, the prayers and the murmuring. I don't know how long I was waiting, but after some ten or so minutes, the key turned in my cell door and three officers walked in accompanied by a major. The four of them stood looking at me for a few seconds and then the senior officer proceeded to read out charges against me, as he had already, the same ones that had been read to me at the beginning you, of my court Jared march. Doyle did take part in an armed rebellion against His Majesty the King and, having been tried by court-martial, found guilty and sentenced to death. Do you understand, Doyle? He asked me again if I understood and I said, I do, and there was silence. But, let's see. And then he proceeded to read. Yes, the court, having considered your case, has commuted the sentence to life imprisonment and, and in further consideration, taking your age into account, the sentence has been commuted to three years' penal servitude. Do you understand this, Doyle? I do. And again there was silence. Does the prisoner understand this? Good. You are a common convict, Doyle. You are a felon. You will be transferred to one of His Majesty's prisons in England. Do you understand? And with that he turned and slammed the door. I stood listening. I couldn't move. Couldn't move. Then I heard Corrigan's door being opened and I waited stock still until I heard the cell door being slammed and then I went to the back of the cell and kicked on the wall and he answered me with a kick and then I put my mouth to the wall and shouted and he then shouted I shouted three years three years he kicked back and then he shouted then I then I kicked Burke's cell and he kicked back and shouted I was overcome. I was totally exhausted. 
and I was totally wrung out and I sank to the floor. And once again, the memories and the faces flooded through me. The men I knew and didn't know had gone bravely to their deaths on these black mornings. I'll never forget. I was in a daze. I was awake, but in a complete daze. I, I only came around in the Black Mariah, chained to a warder, and I couldn't remember how I got into it. Where were we? I had no idea. Where were we going? No idea. So I asked the warder. He said, you know what? You're on your way to England now, son. I looked out of the grill and I could see the corner of North Circular Road, I could see Croke Park, Sheriff Street, people on the streets, people staring into the Black Mariah. I couldn't hear anything. It was as if I was in a total dream. It was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And then I was on the ship, and I looked up at the night sky and the stars. And then I heard the great whistles of the ship. Prison ship. Oh, this prison ship. We Irish knew all about these prison ships. As the boat cleared the point of the wall, we could see through the portholes the lights along Hoth, and someone said, I wonder how many of us will ever see these lights again. The whistles roared, the engines churned and we sailed out into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> 